1: And it really speaks to, for me personally, reaching out to those who have no voice, where he says, is anybody hearing me? I often think about the sexually broken in the church. I think about men and women who are in bondage to pornography or some other form of sexual sin. I think of wives who often, more often than not get ignored I mean, have you ever been to church on a Sunday, and first off, if the pastor even talks about sex or pornography in a very clear way, provides answers, have you ever heard of a pastor who clearly talked about the wife? Because if two-thirds of Christian men are viewing pornography, that means a massive number of marriages are at risk or are already hurting, and you've got a massive number of wives who need help, too. So there are a lot of marriages that are at stake here with these issues that we bring to you with porn addiction in the church, and I'm going to say it's a porn epidemic in the church. And so those of you, we've had people email us, and I didn't, I've never even thought of it this way, who've said, thank you for being a voice for us, who feel like we have no voice for the church, and you are not forgotten Your issues, the things that you're going with, the shame and the pain and the struggle and the fight and getting, I'm going to just give the words, getting your butt kicked, you are not forgotten and we are here here for you. So today I have Mrs. Sandy England on the phone calling in from Oklahoma. Sandy is the facilitator of our wives group and she's also a prayer warrior and my sister in Christ. Sandy, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> so I'm going to start this. Uh, Sandy and I, uh, we talk on the phone and we talk about what she sees in her groups, her wives' groups. These are for wives who are struggling with trying to heal from and to be equipped for their journey and healing from a marriage of porn addiction or adultery and the things their husbands are doing. And I try and keep my pulse on what she sees, and recently she told me what the wives are telling her is that the husbands are saying words like, when are you going to get over this, where the guy has finally decided to get help, and maybe he's got two months of abstinence or three months of abstinence, and he's starting to feel good because, for the first time in his life, and so just because they're feeling good, they have the assumption that, well, my wife should be able to get over this too quickly in two or three months. And from my perspective, that's like being covered in mud for 30 or 40 years, and then the mud comes off and you start feeling a little little better, but you still have a long road to recovery. So, Sandy, how does it affect a wife when she hears a husband say, why can't you get over this?
2: Oh, well... They, um, really get discouraged, you know, because, um, when the husband starts doing this walk, they start understanding and, you know, kind of going through the program, learning that their, what they've done impacts their wife. Um, they're somewhat sympathetic and trying to understand the wife. And then, um, after so, you know, a few months, a couple months of freedom, um, they get really, they're, get, the men seem to get a little bit impatient, um, with what's wrong with you. I've, you know, I've been without this for this many months, you should be happy. Why can't we go back to normal our marriage as it was before, et cetera, et cetera. And the wife is just devastated. Um, it's kind of like it's a new wound, um, because they are no longer being heard, they're being rushed, they're being told what they're feeling, um, should be hurried up and, um, get over it. And then they're kind of feel, um, once again, that they're not heard and what they feel is invalid. So it's kind of like, uh, reconnecting, um, to the groups and stuff like that because they're hurting again, um, and that's kind of why we had that conversation about, you know, can we talk about your book when you talk about, hey, I'm doing great. Where are you? Um, and when a husband says that to the wife, it's just like they're back at square one with the invalid feelings that this is their fault and that type of thing.
1: Mm. <clears throat> talk about this is their fault. Do you hear that?
2: Mm. Yeah, you should be over this. My healing's way up here. Yours is way down there. You know, um, sometimes it's to the point, well, I've got sobriety. You should be happy. Isn't that the objective? <laughs> so, yeah, it starts. Mm.
1: And when they say this is their fault, is there also some that say, well, I wouldn't have had this problem if you weren't? whatever, giving me enough sex or weren't a certain way or whatever the excuse was?
2: No, they don't. um, I haven't heard that too much. What I hear more of being their fault is that their marriage, their healing in their marriage is the wife's fault, that they're not healing fast enough, that they need more help. They need, um, you know, to work on their healing, meaning the wife. Um, that they're doing something wrong because there's still a problem in the marriage. Mm.
1: So, what does a wife's journey look like, and specifically, how long does her healing process take?
2: Um, you know, everybody's different. I, you know, I, I'd say I'm pretty advanced healing from my situation with my husband, but I think we're always healing. Anybody who thinks that we could (laughs) heal in an 8- to 10-week program, I think, is mm, not understanding the impact of the wound. Um, When we start the Wife's Heart Group, we actually try to look at, you know, what we're believing, the core lies of those, how to, you know, stand in Christ and rebuke those lies. We uh, try to understand what God's showing us about what are the struggles the house of business is going through and that kind of stuff. so we start softening our hearts and so we can listen to God and follow him. Um, it's just a long process. Um, you know, I'm not a guy that struggles with it, so I don't know how long it takes for a man, but I know the women, it takes us time and trust is the hardest thing to rebuild. We have forgiven them. Um, God commands us to forgive, and we do that. We, you know, try to understand, and try to learn. But trust is a completely different thing, and it kind of backtracks when a husband's like, "Why aren't you healing? You need to focus on you. Our marriage is stuck because of you." Mm-hmm. Did that help?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember, and um, you were there when we did this. We um, recorded my wife Michelle reading a letter. Yes. she had written to me some years ago um explaining how my porn addiction had impacted her and this was i don't know 25 years mm-hmm. after after i had committed adultery on her in 1991 but that was, that just tore her guts apart and as mm-hmm. she was reading that letter 25 years later she started getting emotional and tearing up
2: mhm that's true um I've gotten, you know, same place with Michelle. The stuff with Dusty and I were years ago. Um, but sometimes, and the ladies who are in the groups can testify to this, there's times when I'm sharing some part of my story. Um, yeah, it just, you, there's the emotions, they're still there, the hurt. Um, no, I don't hold it over my husband's head or anything like that, but it happened, it was real. And it was painful. So even 22 years later, um, the memory's still there. You've gotten better. You've gotten stronger. And you know how to not let the triggers and the enemy use it against you. But it's still there. It still happened. So it could be years.
1: Yeah, and then really we we heal and we learn how to cope and we learn how to fight the battles. But when you're... In marriage, when we're a one union of body and spirit, I just don't see how anybody can say that, bam, snap out of this in two or three months. That's something that is a very profound, deep, and traumatic wound.
2: I agree. I agree. And, I, you know, I get concerned, and I I never want to take away any um, husband's battle. I know... That's gotta feel good, you know, to have freedom for a few months and you know, yes, we wanna pray for that and thank the Lord for it, but to actually think that something they've battled um for twenty or thirty years or whatever the case may be, that's killed, you know, in such an amount of time, um, you know, I, I'm concerned for them that, you know, they may possibly fall. Um and I'm also concerned that they think somebody can heal me, somebody being their wife in a short amount of time from some trauma that's just been exposed, uh, devastated, everything they believed was a lie, their whole marriage was a lie, um, the person they thought their husband was, was a lie, and just ask, you know, expecting them um, to recover and heal and be as one... Um, I don't think is realistic and it's very very difficult to even start putting that pressure back on the wife that she's doing something wrong she's not healing fast enough or whatever the case may be Mm. it's concerning
1: earlier you use um the phrase that some husbands say why can't this go why can't our marriage go back to the way it was and what I hear is that they're saying why can't we go back to me lying and hiding and and all that. What is your take?
2: <laughs> it's kind of funny. You talk about, you, you asked that question because we've talked about it in group many times. Um, the husband wants to go back. I don't know if they necessarily want to go back to lying and, you know, that kind of stuff. But they want to go back to, they, the wife was happy. The wife was, you know, toodling along. Um, trying to do whatever they could to make the husband happy or whatever their case was. They want to go back. The problem is, once this happens, your marriage will never be the same. Dusty and I's marriage is nothing like it was 23 years ago. Nothing like it. Um, thank you, Lord, <laughs> mm-hmm. for that. Um, so going back is, especially when a wife is healing and becoming strong in her. Um, relationship with the Lord, she's different. Even within the eight-week program, I'm so blessed to witness what God's doing in these ladies. They're becoming strong in who they are. They're becoming strong in their relationship with the Lord. Going back and being naive and um, not asking the Lord to show them truth just isn't going to happen.
1: And so this may sound like a completely crazy question, but what are the silver linings on going through the suffering and the trauma of a marriage that's been devastated by this stuff?
2: Uh, the silver lining, um, I think, um, is no matter what happens, just your relationship with the Lord, that no matter what happens with your husband um, and you're leaning into the Lord, you grow um, and you can trust and you can actually pray more effectively for your husband. And because you know what they're battling, you know, you've been, it's been exposed what they're battling. It's not just lust. It's usually some other reason that they are watching porn or, you know, zoning out so they don't have to deal with life. Um, I think the whole thing is just how strong a wife, a person uh, becomes in their relationship with the Lord
0: and when the marriage
2: when the husband and the wife you know it's probably different times but they're both working on it you just and that's, it's easier to fight against the world and the attacks of the enemy when you can fight together so it's a long road but it's so worth it I would never have the marriage I have now if both Dusty and I <laughs> Didn't take this really, really long hard walk. Mm.
1: So it sounds like God does a rebuild through the whole process.
2: I would say exactly, and isn't that what He tells us He does when we come to Him? He remakes
1: us,
0: mm.
2: and He remakes our marriage. Yes, rebuild.
1: You have uh, you talked about rebuking the lies, and those, so there's a very intense spiritual battle on both sides the wife's side and the man's side and you've also shared how in our discussion Sandy where you come across wives that are either question whether there are, there are demons or there is a spiritual battle talk about what's going on there mm,
2: those are um, those are the uh, I don't know how to say this there's a there is a spiritual battle, as you know, and we anybody with blazing grace, or anybody who has, you know, a walk with the Lord, you're attacked. You're attacked with lies. You're attacked with doubts. You're attacked with all those things. When um, a new a person comes to um, blazing grace. And they come into the group and we start talking about these things, about what lies we're believing and who are those lies from. Um, some of them are like, this is real. This is these demons, this yeah, evil things are real. Um, I guess, you know, I don't ever want to, to question or, you know, but I don't think the churches are educating people, um, believers on how real spiritual warfare is and how subtle it could be by a simple little lie or simple little doubt um, that we believe our husbands are doing, or we even believe in ourselves, that we're not worthy, we're not able to be heard. And so I think a lot of times just explaining and helping them walk through that and them seeing, you know, of course God opens their eyes, them seeing that they are attacked and that they are buying into um, lies. So, it, you know, it's just, I don't know why some people don't believe it. And I actually could say I can relate because I remember that I know it's real. Um, when you start seeing it, you realize how strong it can be. I mean, even physical things can happen like bells ringing on your porch or computers breaking down in the middle of whatever. Um The enemy doesn't want healing for the husband nor the wife. I mean, for years, he's probably got a twofer. And I mean, he's taken the husband down, and in the process, he's taken the wife. He's not going to stop. But showing people what that looks like, especially when they have no background, um, is kind of challenging. But God's faithful, and they see it.
1: Well, you got to tell that story of the ringing bell.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, you make me tell the story.
1: Um,
2: one of my most, and you know, I believed in spiritual warfare. I was understanding it and growing in it. Um, uh, in our house, in um, up in the mountains in Colorado, um, I had this silly bell. I mean, it's kind of big. It's, you know, I don't know. i got to measure how much it weighs. Um, it's just a bell I had. Sitting, hanging on the porch like a wind chime And um, One night it just started Ringing and ringing and ringing And I went outside and there was No wind and <laughs> I know you remember This Mike because the next morning I'm Running into your office yeah. Freaked out um, Because there was no wind There was nothing this bell And it's not a light bell Um, just started ringing. Well, I think you finally thought when you came to, you brought the girls over to visit. Um, it was just ringing and you, you explained to me and we talked and you gave me a prayer, wonderful prayer. Um, and I was like, could that happen? And you, you helped me walk through that and understand that. Well, I can't remember exactly how many days later or weeks later, um, it happened again. It happened again, um, so loud and carrying on. And I went outside and I was rebuking um, because there was no wind, there was nothing else. Um, and, you know, stop, stop. No, you are not going to do this. It was so loud, it woke my son Jacob up. Um, so it's very real. This, you know, people say, oh, you're crazy, Benny. Well, You can think whatever you want. I know what happened, and I know that in Jesus' name, I finally got the bell to stop. So that's what that is,
1: Mm -hmm. the bell story. (laughs) Yeah, and part of that is, um, you know, the enemy tries to attack with fear, with stuff like that or Mm -hmm. anything. And fear is one of his ways he gets a grip on us. Because once he has that grip with fear, then he can just shake us and manipulate us like a rag doll.
2: True.
1: Very true. So I'm kind of wondering as I've been listening to you speak that, and I know from the churches we visited, you don't really hear about demons and spiritual world very very often. And I don't know why, but I assume on one side of it, Satan's very happy and content and to keep everybody in their little comfort bubble that um, your home is safe for the whole family, and Satan just has no way to get in there. My other concern is there may be some believers who their lives are just – they're floating along and their lives really aren't counting for the eternal. And comfort and pleasure and entertainment are more important to them. And he's very happy to leave them alone because he's not going to start ringing their bell and getting them freaked out like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to take this (laughs) Christian thing serious here. So on that note, you talked about um, Jacob or your son, I forget which one it was, waking him up.
2: Jacob. Yeah, he's the one with the bell.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you had a conversation you told me about recently with him on the church at large, and share with our listeners on what some of the content of that was.
2: Um, some of the content um, was he's a young man, he's a young married man, and... You know, he's just now moved to Oklahoma, and, you know, as a parent, you know, they're adults, but you you kind of still try to understand where they are, where they're going, and when he moved out here, I said, okay, so we need to find you a church and a group, and he's like, mom, I'm not doing any churches, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, red flag, red alert, Um, and I said, well, why not, and he says, because they don't teach us what we need to know, and I'm like, okay, you know, a little bit of mom concern is coming out here. Um, and, but I couldn't argue with what he was saying. And I said, so tell me, what is it they're not teaching you? And he says, We're not, they're not teaching us about how to walk, you know, what that looks like. You know, they teach us the Bible. He goes, I can read the Bible. He goes, I need to know more. I need to know how to do these things. He's the son that came up with the bell. He heard the bell. He knew there was no wind. Um, he knows his dad and I's lost. Um, So he's looking for more than Bible verses. And, um, you know, I just, it was hard. Um, because what he was saying was true. Um, he needs more. So I asked him, I said, so how do you get fed (laughs) that's our work we're you know we're one of those families and he says i listen to a lot of young people who believe in god who pray who talk truth and i was like okay you know being a parent i want to know what he's listening to who's influencing him who's feeding him um so i started listening to some of these people he follows. they are different types of music. They're hard to listen to if you're older. Um, They're rap, and they're really loud, and um, they have lots of tattoos and piercings. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, let me hear their message. These groups that he follows are right on mic. Mm. They talk about Jesus. They talk about walking. They talk about fighting um, against, um sin and how they do it and they pray and they talk about praying and you know crying to god for help and i'm like blown away
1: well sandy we got about 15 seconds so i just want to sum up what you just said by saying it sounds like your brother's listening to a bunch of rogue christians
2: yes my son is listening to a bunch of rogue christians (laughs)
1: So, my friends, uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Do you want to be free?
0: Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org, email us at email at blazinggrace.org, or call the office at 719-888-5144.